Our scripture for today is Romans 1, 8 through 15. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. We're continuing our series today, Holy Unholy, and uh, I want you to turn with me to Romans, to the passage that was just read. And we're going to spend some time talking about prayer this morning because that was central to uh, Paul's communication with the Romans in the verses that Shane read. One of my favorite passages in Scripture, this is a life verse even for me, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. It goes like this. This is, this is a fantastic passage in the Bible on how we should pray. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Anybody got anxieties in your heart? This verse is for you right here. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One of the key statements in that passage is that prepositional phrase, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. That's something that we can easily forget when we're anxious, anxious, anxious. I mean, we bring our request to the Lord, that's good, but, but that needs to be done with thanksgiving. Careful to give God praise, careful to give God thanks for the things that he's already done in our lives. And if you don't have anything to thank him for, well, you need to get saved and then thank him for that. And if you're already saved, then you have enough to thank him for for the rest of your life. Plenty to thank him for before every prayer. And some of you might ask, okay, that's good, Pastor Tony, I like that. Philippians, how, how, do, I, how, how do I work thanksgiving into my prayer life? How do I, I uh, express this attitude of gratitude as I pray? How do I integrate thankfulness into my supplication before the Lord? Thankfully, Paul gives us this fantastic example of that in Romans chapter 1. Paul talks about prayer and models prayer and shows us how to pray meaningfully, meaningful prayers before the Lord. And before he gets into any of that, he thanks God. He offers up thanks to the Lord for the good work that God has already done in his life and throughout the world. So let's take a look at this passage today, this morning. Let's talk about prayer is prayer important to us at Harvest Decatur? Is it, I don't know, one of our pillars maybe? What do y'all think? Yeah, it is. Our church was founded on, on four pillars, and one of those pillars is prayer. And that's one of those things that quite often we need to fire up from time to time. If you agree with that, just say amen. Is that true? Have you found that to be true in your life? It's true in my life. 
So my goal this morning, I'm, I'm pastor fire you up this morning, okay? I want to get you fired up about prayer. I want us to get fired up as a church about prayer. Let's talk about prayer. Here's your outline for this morning. I want to give you three prayer principles from Romans 1. You can see those in your notes and follow along as we go. And I frame those points this way. When you talk to God, do this, this, and this. Okay, when you talk to God, do one, two, and three. That's, that's it. And, and you know, maybe, maybe you need a definition right, right now. What is prayer? What is prayer, Pastor Tony? Prayer is communication with God. It's, it's talking with God. It's communicating with the maker of the universe. You have an opportunity to talk to the maker of the universe. Isn't that awesome? Let's not, let's not overcomplicate this. You don't need prayer beads to pray. You don't need to come to church to pray. You don't even need to close your eyes and bow your head to pray. Although sometimes Pastor Tony asks you to close your eyes and bow your head because it helps you focus. What is prayer? It's communication with God. It's talking with God. And when you talk with God, Paul's, Paul's going to show us three things in this passage. Three ways that we can improve our prayer lives, focus on certain things in our prayer lives. Here's the first thing to do. Write this down as number one. When you talk to God, start here. Thank him for your family of faith. Start with thanksgiving. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Start with thanksgiving. Paul says this in verse eight of Romans one. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul says, first. Paul says, before I get into it with you in this letter, before I get into the nitty gritty of the gospel and all the things that I need to share with you, before I unleash on you the greatest doctrinal treatise that has ever been written in the book of Romans, I want to thank God. I want to thank God for you, says Paul. And Paul, as we saw already, he hasn't even met this church. He hasn't even been to this church. He's met some of the people in this church, but he's never been there, and he's already thanking God for them. Why? Why does Paul thank God for them? Because of their faith. Because of their faith in Jesus Christ, and because knowledge of their faith is spreading around the world. In Rome, there's a church. There's a church in Rome. People are believing the gospel. People are getting saved. Just a little historical footnote for you here. Rome was an incredibly important part of the Roman Empire in Paul's day. Does that surprise anybody here? It was was an incredibly important city, and it was a hostile place, too, for Jews and for Christians alike. Emperor Claudius had kicked out all of the Jews from Rome in 49 AD, AD 49. Paul's missionary friends, Priscilla and Aquila, y'all remember them from the book of Acts? They were actually part of this expulsion from Rome. And so Paul met them in Corinth during his second missionary journey because they had been kicked out of Rome like other Jews at that time and other Christians at that time. But by the time that Paul wrote the book of Romans in AD 57, during his third missionary journey, Priscilla and Aquila had already returned to Rome and were part of the church there. And we know this because at the end of the book, Paul greets them. He says, Romans 16, verse 3, you can read this on the screen. He says, greet Prisca, Priscilla, and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. So this couple who had already been kicked out of Rome once came back to Rome and were part of this church 
and they were ministering for Jesus, planting a church, growing a church in the belly of the beast, so to speak. I mean, this is like planting a church in our day in, in Mecca or Medina. This is a hostile place. And so, you know, other churches around the world, as they hear there's a church, you know, hey, guess what? There's a church in Rome now. There's believers in Rome, in the most important city of the empire. Can you believe that? In the belly of the beast right now, there's people who are representing Jesus Christ. They believe the gospel that we do. They believe in the same Jesus that we do. And you know what? Paul didn't even plant that church. No, really? Yeah. This is a marvel to Paul. This is a marvel to the other churches. Their fame, if you want to say it that way, you might say the Lord's fame in planting the church in Rome has spread. And Paul says, I thank God because your faith is being proclaimed around the world. And of course, speaking of around the world, that's exactly what God called us to do. That's exactly what Jesus called us to do. That's the mission he gave us, to go into all the world and make disciples, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And Jesus never said, stay away from tough places like Rome. He wants us to go everywhere, preaching the gospel, making disciples. Paul sees this. He he sees the Great Commission taking place. I mean, this is 25 years. Paul's writing this 25 years after Jesus' resurrection. So already... After 25 years, the gospel is being spread around the world to Rome, the known world at that time, throughout the Roman Empire, and Paul says, I thank God for that. I don't know about you guys, but last week I got really fired up about church planting and the Great Commission. I really appreciate Christian McNeely coming here and giving us this this refreshed vision for what church planting might look like and how we can be a part of that in the Great Commission Collective. Anybody else get fired up about this last week? I mean, I have a new, uh, a new fire lit on, uh, under me. I, I mentioned this. I texted Christian yesterday and said this. I want to see God plant churches. I want to see God use us to go into the, even the hard places of this world and preach the gospel and, and, and make disciples. I'm going to India tomorrow. I mean, that's, that's 4,000 miles east of Rome and here I am, 4,000 miles west of Rome. And, and I'm going to go there tomorrow, Tuesday, and I'm going to shake hands with believers who believe the same thing about Jesus that I do. And we believe the same thing about Jesus that Paul did 2,000 years ago in the city of Rome. Are you fired up yet? I, I can't believe that this is the world that I live in now, that I get to do stuff like that, and God's mission that he has given us is being realized in ways that Paul could see in part 2,000 years ago. Where am I in my notes? I'm off script here. I know it's easy in our day to feel defeated and to feel unthankful and to think oh Christians are being persecuted and oh you know religious liberty in our country is being compromised I mean that quite frankly makes me boil over sometimes and we can despair about that and many churches you might say well Pastor Tony there's some churches in our city and there's some churches in our state that are you know uh, declining in attendance and you know this, this, this spirit I call it the spirit of chicken little can come over us and the sky is falling and things are outside of God's control and woe is me 
And that's why I'm telling you right now, when we pray, we need to preempt our prayers by thanking God for the things that he has done and he's already doing in our world. And we need to set the tone of our prayer time with a spirit of gratitude to God and let that influence everything else that we pray for. And when I talk about the family of faith, I mean, we can talk about the 8,000 miles away in India. We can talk about the family of faith right here in Harvest Decatur. Thank God for that. Thank God for the 150 believers that gather here to worship God every Sunday. 70 kids are here on Sunday. I mean, you might say, well, that's kind of a small church. You know, 150 people, 70 kids, that's, that's a mega church in Croatia, just so you know. And what a thing that God is doing here. I, I appreciated what Christian said last week about how the Lord uses small churches to change the world. Why not? I wonder too at times if more is done within the small church framework and what God is doing in places like Harvest Decatur than he's doing in the mega churches. I don't want to start a war between mega churches and Harvest Decatur. I just want to tell you that God is working. Be thankful for the family of faith that God has given you. You know, one of the, let's just get real practical here. The, this is one of my life principles, just with prayer. One of the things that I've tried to model even for Alistair and for others is that when we pray, start with thanksgiving. Before you ever ask God for anything, before you pull out your prayer list and say, I need X, Y, and Z tomorrow, Lord, you thank the Lord. You know, to present your requests before the Lord, yes, I'm all for that, with thanksgiving, to set the tone for what you're praying for with, with thankfulness for what God has already given you. Paul says, first, before I talk turkey with you, before I get down to business with you, I want to just express my thanks to the Lord that you are part of our church family, church in Rome. I want to thank God for that. So when you talk to God, Harvest Decatur, start here. Start with thanksgiving. Start with thanking God for the family of faith that you are part of. Thank him for the good, good gift of life he's given you and the salvation that he's purchased you. Thank, you for the, thank him for the growing family of God that's spreading around the world. People are getting saved in places like Iran and China and India. The only place where Christianity isn't growing in our world is North America and some parts of Europe. Everywhere else it's growing. The only place where atheism is popular is among white, overeducated North Americans and Europeans. And mostly males, too, by the way. The rest of the world is growing in terms of their religious convictions, one way or the other. Our, our world is growing more religious. And, and the question is, what are they going to embrace in that desire to know God and embrace God? Christianity, the faith that we've been giving, are we going to take a part in that? Are we gonna sit on our hands? So when you talk to God, Harvest Decatur, start with thanksgiving, start with thanking God for the family of faith that you are a part of, and then here we go. Whew, let me take a deep breath here. Number two, when you talk to God, entreat him with humility and submission. Paul says in verse nine, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Whew, man, that's a loaded statement right there. 
that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. Paul says, without ceasing, I mention you, Roman church, always in my prayers, which is an amazing statement since Paul has never been to this church. And you kind of wonder when you read that, you think like, doesn't Paul have enough to pray for with the churches he has visited? You know, like, doesn't he have enough people that he's mentoring and praying for that now on top of that, he's adding prayers for a church he's never even been to? Here's how Robert Mount says it in his commentary on Romans. He says, realizing how many lives the apostle had already touched, we marvel that he was able to include in his prayers believers he had not as yet met. Paul was all about praying for other people, whether he met them or not. Martin Luther says this about this verse. He says, Christian prayer is complete only when we intercede for the common good of all and not merely for ourselves. Luther called this fellowship prayer. Paul was all about fellowship prayer, praying for believers, whether he met them or not. He prayed without ceasing for the church in Rome, a place he hadn't yet visited. And, th- and that's, you know, <laughs> that's just one of the things going on in this sentence. I want to take this apart one by one here, verses 9 and 10, one sentence. Here's what Paul says. He says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. All right, there's a lot going on in those two verses in that sentence. So let me, let me unpack this. And actually, let me start by this. Let me just ask you a question. Have you, ever, have you ever had a prayer that you've prayed repeatedly to the Lord that has gone unanswered? Have you ever asked God for something again and again and again and it still, even as of yet, hasn't been answered? Anybody had that experience? If you have, you're not alone. Paul had that too. Paul earnestly prayed to God for him to go to Rome, to visit this church. And, and for whatever reason, at the writing of this letter, that prayer still hasn't been answered. And what's funny is that when it does eventually get answered, Paul's in chains and he's sent as a prisoner to Rome and he's put under house arrest. That's probably not what he prayed for when he thought about going to Rome. God works in mysterious ways sometimes. Paul says, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Man, that's a loaded statement there. Notice how Paul works the Trinity into the statement. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all in verse 9 there. Paul says, God is my witness whom I serve in my spirit, serving the Lord in, in my spirit, the word serve here is the Greek word latruo, which means to worship or to serve in religious duties. It's a word that's used of priests in the Old Testament. Paul serves God with, with his spirit, and I think that's a reference to the Holy Spirit working inside of Paul. We don't serve God in our own flesh. We don't worship God in our own flesh, in our own power. We serve God by the power that he gives us. Paul serves God as well in the gospel of his son, What's the gospel of God's son? You guys know what the gospel is now, right? 
It's that God's son came to earth and died on the cross for our sins and by faith in him, we might have our sins redeemed. Paul says, I serve in the gospel. How do, how do you serve? What does that mean? It means Paul's service for Christ is on behalf of the gospel. It's empowered by the gospel. It's motivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the way, that whole statement in verse nine, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that's all what's called a relative clause in Greek. So that's not even the main thing that Paul's saying in this sentence. Only in the Bible do you get a relative clause that is that theologically loaded. You gotta stop for a second and think about it and then like, okay, back to the sentence, the main sentence. So let me take that relative clause out and let's see what Paul's saying here. For God is my witness that without ceasing, y'all following with me? Everybody got, got it? Pull out the relative clause. For God is my witness that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at least, at last, succeed in coming to you. In other words, Paul wants to get to Rome. Paul has earnestly prayed and repeatedly prayed for God to open up the way for him to travel to Rome. Over and over and over again, Paul has prayed prayers like this. Lord, please let me go to Rome. They need me. It's a baby church over there. I can encourage them. I can strengthen them. Please, Lord, this is good. Let me go. And God says, no, not yet, Paul. So Paul again starts praying, Lord, please make a way for me to go. I desperately need to go there. I want to set up Rome as a home base where I can go to Spain and go to other places and get the gospel out where it hasn't gone yet. Didn't you give us the great commission, Lord? Don't you want me to do this? Let me go to Rome. And God says again, no. Not yet, Paul. You ever pray a prayer like that to the Lord? Again and again and again. Praying for God to grow his church, grow the number of disciples in Decatur, Illinois. For God to increase church planting around the world, to see people get saved. Prayed maybe for family members that you love dearly to finally submit their lives fully to the Lord. Ever pray prayers like this again and again and again? I have. I have. And Paul has too. And it's not like Paul's praying for a Cadillac here. It's not like Paul's praying for health, wealth, and prosperity for himself. He's praying good, God-honoring prayers. I mean, we'll see that in a second. Paul wants to go to Rome. He's, he's not, he doesn't want to go sightseeing. He wants to go to Rome so he can strengthen the church and preach the gospel and fulfill the Great Commission. Those are good prayers that he's praying. Good God-honoring. Why wouldn't God answer that? Someday I'm going to write a book and I'm going to entitle it The Power of Unanswered Prayers. It's not going to be a bestseller. I can tell you that already. In my book, I'm going to cite Romans 1. And I'm going to talk about this, how, prayer, how Paul prayed this prayer continually. And the Lord, for a while, didn't allow it. And then I'm going to cite 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul says, I pleaded with the Lord three times that this thorn in, in my flesh might depart from me. And God said to me, no, 
I'm not taking it away. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then I'm going to cite Jesus. When Jesus prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Remember that? Did you know Jesus had unanswered prayer? Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. But then he followed it up by saying, yet not my will, but yours be done. I'm going to cite Paul in my book. I'm going to cite Jesus. And then I'm going to cite Garth Brooks, too. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. It's probably going to be the only reference to Garth Brooks in my book. Just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayer. Right? Have you ever dealt with unanswered prayer before, Harvest Decatur? Have you now? Paul did. Paul prayed to God that he would send him to Rome to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, and God said, no. You need to put that in your theological pipe and smoke it, Harvest Decatur. If you don't have a category in your Christian faith for unanswered prayer, you better get one quick. Prayer is not dictation to God what we want him to do. We pray with submission and we pray with humility before the God of the universe who is sovereignly directing our world. Y'all with me? And Paul, Paul helps us with this. He's, he helps us showing that our entreaties before God, this, this pleading, our petitioning before the Lord, it has to be balanced with humility and submission because Paul is a servant of Christ Jesus. He's a doulos, doulos Iesu Christu, servant of Christ Jesus. God is the master and we are the servants. And Paul emphasizes that here in verse 10. I mention you always in my prayers. Look at verse 10, one last time. Asking that some how by God's will. Do you see it? Wanting to submit, wanting to do God's will. I may now at last succeed in coming to you. That is not genie in a bottle Christianity. That is not health, wealth, and prosperity Christianity. We don't dictate to God in prayer. We submit to him. We submit. And some of you might say, even right now you might be thinking this, all right, Pastor Tony, well, submitting to the Lord so why even pray for stuff why even bother praying let's you know let's, let's we'll just submit just you know whatever say lovey whatever God does he does here's why you pray here's why you pray even without ceasing like Paul prays without ceasing sometimes God wants to see you persevere in prayer are you all with me Sometimes God wants you to struggle through something. Sometimes God wants to see the changes that that struggle has upon your heart. Sometimes the struggle in prayer is just as important as the answer to prayer. Sometimes the work that God is doing on you as you wrestle through something in prayer is just as important to God as answering your requests. Sometimes more important. Sometimes God wants to see that humility cultivated in your life and that submission to him cultivated in your life. And God does that as you persevere in prayer. And sometimes 
Sometimes God wants to bring your will into conformity with his will. And that takes time in prayer. You know, if you go and read that passage, I'll give you a great example of this in the scriptures. If you go and read that passage on the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is pouring out his heart before the Lord the day before he dies, you know, the the disciples are asleep, right? If you go and you read that section, Matthew 26, 36 through 46, you can see how Jesus is changing throughout that time of prayer. At first he's apprehensive. At first he's saying, take this cup from me. At first, you know, there's, there's just all these things that God, that God, yeah, God the Son has to process. And this is, this is the Lord we're talking about. He's processing these things in prayer before the Father. And then by the time you get to the end of that passage, Jesus gets up and he's got resolve and he's ready to go. All right, I understand. I know what God wants me to do. And he goes out with with conviction about what he must do. I need to lay down my life. This is what God has asked me to do. And he had to pray a long time to get to that place in the garden. I think there's a lesson in that for us. Sometimes prayer isn't about bringing God into conformity with what you want. In fact, I would say it's never that. Instead, it's about bringing us into conformity with what God wants. So we entreat him, yes, but we entreat him with humility and with submission to his will. And that leads to our final point. When you talk with God, Harvest Decatur, start with thanksgiving. Start by thanking him for your family of faith. And then I, you know, don't let me discourage you. And then by all means, entreat him. Let your requests be made known to God. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We need to do this with humility and submission. And then thirdly, when we talk to God, we need to ask him to sync up our requests with his greater purposes. That's what I'm trying to get to here. Ask God to sync up your requests with his greater purposes. Yesterday I played golf with some of y'all. It's like my one golf outing in 2019. And, you know, it's fun. I'm, I'm not a great golfer. I enjoyed the company and hanging out with some guys after I played 18, didn't play real well, I went into the clubhouse and there was this sign in the clubhouse and it was a quote from Billy Graham in a golf clubhouse. It went like this. The only times my prayers aren't answered is on the golf course. (laughs) Says Billy Graham. At least he and I have that in common. And I wonder, you know, when God is going to allow my prayers for my golf game to line up with his greater purposes for me? That hadn't happened yet. I'm not sure that's part of his plan. So how do we ask God to sync up our requests with his greater purposes? How does Paul model that for us here? Paul says in verse 11, he says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Paul's still pining for the church in Rome. It's part of his prayer. Lord, let me go there. Let me strengthen them. And some of you at this point, might, you might be saying like, well, what's the big deal? Isn't Paul obsessing about this a little bit? I mean, 
So he can't go to Rome. Why, why does he want to go there so much? Why, why is this such an obsession for him? Well, let me address that with three answers to this question. Why did Paul want to go to Rome? This is in your notes. Here's the first reason. These are all good reasons. This is not Paul praying for a Cadillac. This is not Paul praying for his golf game. This is good stuff. The first reason he wants to go is spiritual empowerment. Like I said already, these, these prayer requests are, are, are God-honoring. You know, Paul, he's, he says, I want to go. I want to impart to you a spiritual gift. I want to strengthen you as a church of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul's an apostle. He's an authoritative leader in the church. And when he goes to churches, awesome things happen. Paul's like Johnny Appleseed for church plants. He goes to places and it just whoo, all kinds of fruitfulness come. He chases off all the 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 sheep and the wolves in sheep's clothing. You know, he he preaches with power and authority. He teaches with power and authority. People get saved like crazy. They want Paul to come in Rome just as much as he wants to go there. And and he's he's saying, I've got this this strength that I want to give to you. I've got this this gift I want to impart to you. I want to give you a shot of adrenaline into your spiritual lives. What church wouldn't want that? And so this is a good reason he wants to go to strengthen the church. Here's another reason Paul wants to go to Rome. It's not just what Paul can do for the church. It's what the church can do for Paul. Mutual encouragement. That's not what Paul can do for the church. That's what the church can do for Paul. Paul tells the church here, I long to strengthen you and spiritually encourage you. But this is not a one-way street because in verse 12 he says that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith both yours and mine this is not by the way apostolic quid pro quo this is not you scratch my back I'll scratch yours this is here's the Greek word sum parakaleo just turn to your neighbor right now and say, sum parakaleo. Impress your friends with that this week. So this is, listen, this, this is an important word. Mutual encouragement in the body of Christ. That's what Paul wants. Sum parakaleo. And actually, this, this word right here that you see on the screen, this word is dripping with the Holy Spirit. Because even in that word, there's, you know, the Holy Spirit is often referred to as the paraclete. You might even hear that in that word, sum parakaleo, the Holy Spirit. This is, you've got the Holy Spirit, I've got the Holy Spirit. Let's get together and have a Holy Spirit explosion for Jesus. That's what I pray for on Sunday morning when we get together. That kind of mutual encouragement, it's a Holy Spirit kind of thing. You know Jesus, I know Jesus. You've got the gospel, I've got the gospel. Let's get together. When we get together, our, our faith elevates, our, our worship elevates. We praise God, we encourage each other. I use my gift to bless you, you use your gift to bless me. Do y'all get that at church? Do you pray for that at church? God, use whatever gift is inside me to bless somebody else at church today. And may I be blessed too by somebody else's gift, mutual encouragement. I'll just tell you, Harvest Decatur, my desire to go to India, why do I want to go there? Some of you are like, why would Pastor Tony want to go to India? It's not this. 
It's not white, educated, privileged American, travels abroad to lecture non-white, undereducated, underprivileged, non-Americans. That is not my heart at all. I do not want to go there just to lecture people who aren't from my country. Yes, I feel like God has equipped me to do this. Yes, I feel like God has given me a gift that I want to use. Yes, I feel like God is going to use me to teach there. But I want mutual edification. They have just as much to teach me as I do to teach them. You know what? Some of the things that they're doing, quite honestly, is courageous and brave in ways that what I'm doing right now is not. And I admire them. And I desire to see mutual edification. I want, to, I want a little taste of what Paul writes about here when he go, wants to go to Rome. I'm not the Apostle Paul. I just want a little taste of what he's talking about here. And I'm praying for that. And the third reason that Paul wants to go to Rome is, I'm just going to call this gospel eagerness. Paul wants to preach the gospel. He wants to preach the gospel. He even says in verse 14, I am under obligation to both the Greeks and the barbarians, the cultured and the uncultured, the wise and the foolish. I gotta preach the gospel, says Paul. He says elsewhere, 1 Corinthians 9, 16, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Paul says in verse 13, let's finish this passage up. Here's where the sync up our request with God's greater purposes part comes in, Okay. Paul says, verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. I don't know how he was prevented. In one case, in another letter, he mentions how Satan has prevented him. I don't think that's what he's talking about here. I think this is a divine passive, meaning that God has prevented him in some way. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, in order that I may reap some harvest. I like that word, harvest. <laughs> among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles, I, I want to I harvest. I want to reap a harvest. Verse 14, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. Barbarians, <clears throat> that's a word in Greek. It's referred to as an onomatopoeia, literary feature. It's a word that sounds kind of like what it is. So in, in Greek, it's barbara. So it's like bar, 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 bar. People who kind of talk gibberish can't really speak Greek. So what Paul's saying here is I want, I want to preach to the, the cultured Greek speakers among you and the barbarians as well who don't speak Greek that well. I want to preach the gospel to the wise and to the foolish. Not only do I want to preach to them, I'm, in, I'm indebted to them. I'm obligated to do this. Why would Paul be obligated to do this? Because he got saved on the Damascus Road. And as soon as he got saved, Jesus said, you're going to go to the Gentiles. You're going to go to the barbarians. You're going to go to the Greek speakers out there. I'm sure at first Paul was like, yippee. But now he's like, this is, this is my calling. I'm indebted to do this. Christ saved me, so now I've got to get the gospel out. Verse 15, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Even those who are saved. There's an aspect of the gospel, a a fully-orbed gospel understanding that he wants to help them understand. Paul wanted to come to Rome, desperately prayed that he would come to Rome, but God, God prevented him. 
Paul is driven, driven, driven to get the gospel out. It's not a bad thing. Paul feels obligated to Greeks and barbarians, but so far God has not allowed him to come to one of the most important cities in the world, probably the most important city in the world at this time. And so Paul is waiting, waiting, waiting for God to sync up his desires with God's greater purposes. John Calvin, he said this about Paul in this passage. He said, we learn from this that the Lord frequently upsets the purposes of his saints in order to humble them and by such humiliation to teach them to look to his providence on which they are to depend. I think that's right. The church father, John Chrysostom, he said that something similar. This is, a, this is 1,600 years ago. A believer had insight into this. He said, for it is the master's place to, to, command, to command and the servants to obey. Christ is the master. We are the doulos. We do what he says. That is why he says he was prevented without giving the reason because he didn't know it himself. Paul didn't know it himself. And this is the advice that Chrysostom gives to you. He says, so if you do not know why something has happened, if you're not having your prayers answered, don't be discouraged. But this is the main feature of faith to receive what is told to us of God's providence even when we are ignorant of the way in which it is being dispensed. Sometimes I think with our brand of Christianity in America, it's like, you know, we pray and if we don't get our prayers instantaneously answered like we want them to, we just quit. We're just, we're just soft. You know, or we get angry or we lose faith or, or we have doubts. God's not answering my prayer. Is that what Paul does here? Is that what we see from Paul when God prevented him from doing this good thing, going to Rome? No, we see him persisting in prayer. I think, here's what I think we need in America, in our churches, in Harvest Decatur. If, you know, if, here's what we need to do in terms of our prayer life. Let me just quote the immortal words of Mike Holder. We need to suck it up, buttercup. And we need to pray hard and trust God. We need to pray harder sometimes and trust God. Y'all with me, church? God doesn't answer our prayers. God be praised. He's in charge. I'm not. But I still got this burden, this burden inside of me. What do I do with it, Lord? I'm going to pray it until God answers it or until he changes my desires. Y'all with me? Until... There's this syncing up with our requests and God's greater purposes. That's how I framed it here. So when you talk to God, Harvest Decatur, when you talk to God, when you enter into your prayer closet to pray to him, when you gather with friends and pray at small group, when you gather your family to pray to start the day, when you pray with your wife, pray with your husband, heed the example of the Apostle Paul in Romans 1. Pray like this. When you talk to God, thank him for your family of faith. Entreat him with humility and submission. And ask God to sync up your requests with his greater purposes. And I could say more about that. I could share with you some more Greek words in this passage that are fun to say. 
But instead, about, instead of talking about prayer some more, preaching on prayer a little bit more, here's how I want to end our service today. I want us to pray.